0: Yeah, it's, it's that spearfishing and how customized these attacks uh, can be these days. Um, I remember a similar story where um, I think when Lapide was starting out and uh, they had a client story, uh, the clients used to all go to a physical coffee shop across the road from the office, and the attackers knew this, so they devised a an attack offering you know free membership discounts uh to this cafe and click on this link and lo and behold all of the uh the staff clicked on that phishing link because you, you know it was so looked so legitimate ah <laughs> uh, so I was, I,
1: I, I, one more we, we can we'll just fill this will be the podcast where we tell all the stories that should terrify everybody that should be the title Put <laughs> that in the title this thing so there's another one i shared i was actually speaking at my uh my son's school, uh, they have a cybersecurity course and they asked me to come in. And rather than talking about what Spirion does, I talked about all the things to terrify them so they could actually understand that they should protect their data. And there was one that came across the wire a couple months ago and it was a QR code. There was a QR code on the door of one of those Boba tea shops, which I don't understand, but I guess it's a thing. And it was click here to get your next Boba tea free." You're standing in the boba tea shop, get my next boba tea free. Click there. And in order to get it for free, you had to put your credit card information in so it could credit you back your credit card. It had nothing to do with Boba, Somebody just slapped that thing on a wall, had a URL, and was just sitting there collecting information after information after information. And they actually had one woman that uh, had $20,000 drained from her bank account as a result of that one scam because she put her bank account number in there so they could credit it back to her bank account. All for a boba tea. One of the, actually, that brings up a good point to kind of kind of segue back to something practical. You have to value your data um, as if it's currency. Uh, one of the examples that one of my uh, colleagues likes to use is the ice cream store. Back in the day, you used to go to the ice cream store and you'd buy your ice cream and they gave you a little paper card and they would, they'd poke a little hole in the little paper card every time you bought one. And when you got to 10 and you chunked them all out, you got a free ice cream. Well, that's fine. Now that's all moved to an application. So now I go in and they say, would you like to have be part of the loyalty program? After 10 ice creams, you get one for free. And you say, sure, I'll be part of your loyalty program. Now, instead of a paper card that's in your wallet, you now are part of an application. They now know what kind of ice cream you eat. They know when you're not home. They know how often you eat ice cream. And they can now sell that to people that want to market you diabetes, all kinds of different stuff. And you have to say, is the free ice cream worth giving up that amount of privacy? And I think when you start looking at it that way, instead of having a whole key ring full of loyalty cards because I get 5% off, I mean, I love the moment I go to the gas pump. It's like, get 11 cents off every gallon. Just tell us everything about yourself so we know every time you buy gas and where you are and what else you buy when you're at the store. I'm like, I'll pass. (laughs) But I think people need to recognize what they're giving up every time they give up their data. And all those loyalty programs are literally nothing but a siphon of where you go, what you buy, and a lot about who you are.
0: That's right. Yeah. It reminds me of the, the adage, you know, if something is free, you you are the product. Yeah, exactly right. Your, your data is being collected. It's getting sold. It's, uh, and it's probably in the T's and C's people don't read those things in any case. And it's probably like, we can share all this to, to third party vendors and market research and all sorts. Um, so yeah, you're, you're right. We do need to be more careful with, with our, uh, you know digital identities and the data that you know we put out there 100%. so go- going off the going off the back of that what, what sort of checks and balances are there in place um, from a you know compliance standpoint you know for organizations like Duolingo, you know they've had this breach you know are they are they liable um, you know were, were there things that they missed um uh, what what are the re- repercussions uh, from a legal? Perspective? yeah, so uh, uh,
1: and let me let me couch that in one thing and then I'll answer your question specifically. Okay. one of the one of the things that people confuse is compliance with security. Mm-hmm. You can be compliant and not be secure. and I think a lot of people wrap themselves in a warm blanket of compliance and then they wake up the next day and they have a breach. Um, one another we'll go back to a LinkedIn post this one was from a few weeks ago. I thought it was great. It was a uh, It was a gym teacher's door and you had to put your physical form in there to say your doctor said you were okay and you could go ahead and participate in in school um, gym activities. So, uh, and it said confidential written on the outside. It was like an envelope that you stuck in there. It said confidential and it said, do not remove other people's paper. And then I had like a little wrap around the whole thing. It was compliant. It was clearly classified and it had a level of security associated with it with a little wrap tie around it. But was it secure? No, because you could rip the thing off the door and head out with an entire... 500 kids' private information. So check the compliance box, didn't really check the security box. And I think with Duolingo, I don't know that much about the actual breach itself. That's what um, people are going to ask. Did you actually do what, did you know what data you were protecting? And if you did, were you protecting it appropriately based on the type of data that it was? Depending on the answer to those two questions is going to determine the level of liability that they might have. And then a lot of liability they might have how much of that can then get passed to an insurer if they've got some sort of cyber insurance, if they were not protecting it all and did not have basic things in place, then the cyber insurance might say too bad. This one's on you. Um, And then the determination of how much is that going to go ahead and cost. So that's just the beginning of the clock ticking. Now we're involved in post-breach activities as a company right now, the breach that might've happened three years ago, and they're still trying to clean it up because you realize that a bad actor had been in your system for six months. Where were they? Well, we can find out where they were. What else did they exfiltrate? You can figure that out. But what else did they do when they were in your system? And if they had access to all of your mailboxes while they were there and you can't prove that they didn't exfiltrate something, then you have to assume that they did. Now you got to go scan all those mailboxes to find all the personal information to make sure that you notify people appropriately. So it can be a mess if you don't have a good handle on where your data is and who has access to it.